so good to see you all and to see this room full again. Uh, it's maybe not as good to be back in a suit again, but I'm just glad it fits after COVID. Uh, but you'll notice I opted for the unbuttoned look. So, uh, but it is so good to, to see you all and to continue our series of Grace Dangerous. Um, and so the passage today is a little bit longer than, than normal, but since it's a narrative, I'm hoping you can follow along, but we'll encourage you to, to follow as I read. Um, but we're going to build on the themes that um, Allie and, and Scott have highlighted um, the past two Sundays. And it really continues the theme, uh, uh, really, of the Holy Spirit working through us. And so the Holy Spirit has gotten a lot of airtime, um, a little more than we normally give in the Presbyterian tradition, I think, these last three Sundays. So we'll continue that theme. Um, and so as we read, I encourage you to look through the words and see where Paul and Silas are open to God and the Spirit working through them. So follow along from Acts 16, if you will. We set sail from Troas and set a straight course to Samothrace the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he was supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. 
He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather to see faces and familiar faces again, Lord. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would hear the message your spirit wants us to hear, and that we would apply that so that we will continually be shaped more like you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So when Jerry first asked me to preach a couple months ago, I knew we were going through our, our series of Grace Dangerous, so I, and, and we were going through the, the New Testament in a year. So I quickly looked ahead to see what, what passages would be involved in this week. I almost thought of doing that before I said yes, uh, but I did it after. And I was super excited to see the story of Paul and Silas you know, busting out of prison was in, in this, uh, this week. Because as a kid growing up in the church, this was always one of my favorites. I mean, this is classic Sunday school material, and it's an awesome story about praying to an all-powerful God and God delivering them. Uh, but as I read it this time, especially in light of Grace Dangerous, I was more struck this time by what happened before and after the story, which is why I had us read a little bit more of this passage than we maybe normally would do. And so I want to look at that and unpack that a little bit as we, as we talk today. And so Paul and Silas, just for some background, are, are essentially on a, a journey. They're on a road trip, if you will. And so I want to start with this idea of a road trip. Um, and, and in this passage, you see Paul and Silas are journeying to Macedonia. And at the beginning of this excerpt, they make their first stop. So as readers, we're joining them on this really long road trip. And the, kind of this theme of a road trip feels really appropriate, right? We're in middle of summer, which is classic road trip season. Um, also, VBS week feels good time to talk about road trips because kids are often the cause, like the inspiration for trips, but also make it infinitely more difficult when you're on a trip. Um, and so I think it's appropriate setting. And then further, having Steve as a missionary here is you know, super great time to talk about Paul's missionary journey. But as I stop and reflect on the passage, I think I would have a hard time traveling with Paul. Um, I pride myself in my road trip capabilities and this is a, a skill that has been passed down to me from my father and his father before him. And uh, actually, the godfather of trip time is here today. So, Dad, thank you for, for joining. But Dad instilled in me this rigorous commitment to making trips as efficient as possible, right? When we go, you want to minimize the number of stops. And if you do have to stop, you've got to make those stops as efficient as possible. So you never just do one thing on a stop, right? If you're going to stop... You've got to get food, you've got to get gas, and you've got to go to the bathroom, right? And so we have this rigorous commitment, and I've taken up the mantle, like Clark W. Griswold before me, of charting out our, our journeys. And I remember going with Dad to AAA to get the triptychs. Remember those? I kind of miss them. Like, I mean, I love Google Maps, don't get me wrong, but I do kind of miss the triptychs. And we would always plan this out. Um, and, uh, and I have to admit that... Um, you know, I have my family fairly well trained. So they're rolling their eyes right now, Sam and Leah. They're like, everyone thinks this is funny until you have to ride with dad, right? But they're pretty well trained. And I'd say one highlight of mine, it may be a low light, depending on how you look at this, was several years ago, we were going to visit my sister Becky, uh, who lived in Charleston, South Carolina at the time. And Sam, Leah, and I made it to Charleston with one stop. So we left Zionsville, and we coasted into Knoxville with the gaslight on. Our stomachs were empty. 
and our bladders were bursting. And we stopped, and it was a stop, so we've got to do all three things, right? We ate, we refueled, and then, uh, what did I miss? We ate, we refueled, and we went to the bathroom. Yeah, then we did that first. Um, and so then we got in the car, went on our way, and coasted into, I remember turning into Becky's driveway as my gas light turned back on. And I'm like, wow, what a perfect trip. And we have never replicated that again. So like I said, everyone's going to be concerned about how I, how I treat my kids after this. But it was a high point. So when I set that context, you now understand why I look at Paul and I'm like, oh, I just don't think I could travel with that guy, right? He stops everywhere. And he spends all this time with all the people around him, right? I feel like if Paul were on my road trip, right, he would stop to see the world's largest rocking chair. He'd stop at the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame or that candle outlet that's south of I-70. You know that one by Richmond? Like, the parking lot's always jam-packed. I'm like, what could be so cool about a candle outlet? I always wonder about it. I never stop in it because it would kill my trip time. Um, so if anyone has been to that candle outlet, just tell me afterwards what it's like if, if we need to, to plan it in. But Paul is so unlike me in his journey, right? And unfortunately um, for all of us, that's the case, right? Because Paul continually allows himself to be interrupted by the people that he encounters. And unlike me, who would have probably stepped on the gas and flown by all these people, he stops, he engages, and lives are changed. So in this short passage today, part of the reason I wanted to read a, a, a longer short passage was to look at the three lives that he changed. So just a real quick recap. First of all, you have Lydia, who the scripture says was a, a, a woman of faith, but she had not yet heard the good news of Jesus. So he stops with her first and changes her and her family, their, their lives. Secondly, he's going along his way and he's hounded by this slave girl who has a spirit of divination. She's a fortune teller. And she's kind of harassing him. And the one part about Paul's road tripping that I identify with is it says he was so annoyed, right? I get that part of Paul. Um, but he was annoyed by her. And instead of just moving on, he cast the spirit out of her and again, chained, freed her and changed her life. But when he did that, they, get, they upset the local economy, right? The, her handlers no longer have their source of income. And so they get mad and they beat them and strip them and throw them into prison. And there you meet the third life changed. Paul, while, while in there, and Silas, they're singing, and the, the Lord breaks them out. Again, the part of the story that I thought I might focus on. But when they do that, the jailer is despondent, right? He's suicidal because he thinks they'll execute him for losing all the prisoners. But when Paul and Silas have the chance to get back on the road, especially after what just happened to them, they stick around, right? This stop, they, they, they wait, and they share the good news of Jesus to the jailer and his life has changed. But what I love about this story is not only are those three lives changed, but their families' lives. It says that Lydia's whole family was baptized, the jailer's family, they were all baptized. Steve mentioned the multiplier effect of discipleship, right? He showed, I love the, the graph you had up there. You see that here in this story. So Paul's willingness to be interrupted, to be inconvenienced, changed the lives of three people and then all of those around them. So as I thought about this, you know, I thought about the image of a wake. So I'm a little bit sensitive to, um, to road trips because we just got back from South Carolina, which is, someone noted I'm not as pasty as normal, so that's, that's why I've got this color today. But we went on a fishing trip, uh, Sam and I. So Sam is an expert fisherman. He's my 12-year-old son. So we had done a fishing charter, and we were excited to get out there and, and get fishing. 
And along the way, it took us 45 minutes to get to the first fishing spot because of all the no-wake zones, right? And I know, if you're not familiar with this, and I know a lot of, uh, I'm speaking to a crowd here in Indiana, and I know Hoosiers love your lakes, so a lot of people probably know what a wake is and a no-wake zone is, but they had all of these zones where you could just basically idle so you didn't disrupt the yachts and other boats that were anchored nearby. And it, so it took us forever to get there, but I was noticing just how slow you had to go, right? This boat, this 24-foot boat, boat, could very quickly kick up a, a wake. But knowing I was preaching on Acts, I thought about Paul, and I thought about the wake that he left behind. Like, he was someone who disregarded the no-wake zones, right? And everywhere he went, there was this ripple that impacted the immediate people and then their friends and family. And so I think of that image because that wake of, of, of the power of the Spirit continuing through uh, everywhere they went. And so as we look at this theme of grace dangerous, the first thing you see um, is obviously the grace of Paul's faith. It's so abundant, right? He's willing to be inconvenienced. He's so merciful with the people he encounters. But there's also danger, and we'll look at that um, in, in a minute. But much like you know, Jesus, Paul was the kind of person you met and you walked away changed. He had that wake impact on people. And with grace-filled eyes, Paul saw what many of us would rush past. You know, it's worth uh, noting that one, you know, the only thing that's really exceptional in Paul's act, you know, actions here was just his intentionality and his willingness to be interrupted um, and his willingness to be used by God. In fact, if you look at the descriptions of what he did, they seem super ordinary. So uh, I'll read it for you, but in, in verse 13 with Lydia, it says he sat down and spoke with the servant girl. First of all, he was very much annoyed, which is very normal, at least for me in, in my household. But he also then turned and said to the spirit. And then with the jailer, Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord. Right? These are, are very simple things. The two main verbs that you see coming out are sitting and speaking. Right? He spends time to sit with the people, to listen to them, to have a conversation. This is fairly uh, basic stuff. But what isn't basic, what isn't ordinary, is what the Spirit does with that and what the Spirit does with those conversations. And so you can see that the Holy Spirit is the one with do, is the power behind Paul's ordinary actions. Right? So with Lydia, it says in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart with the servant girl, he spoke in the name of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, with the jailer, it was the word of the Lord that was spoken. So again, these aren't Paul's words. This isn't Paul's actions. These are very ordinary actions that become extraordinary through the power of the Spirit. And for me, at least, I always have a tension between you know, serving an all-powerful God, right? We just saw God created an earthquake and busted people out of prison, right? So why does he need us, right? But God chooses to work through Paul, um, and, and Paul understands that. And so I think Paul understands two truths that I think are equally important to understand. First of all, Paul knows that God uh, wants to use him, and he knows how important he is to God's plan, right? Paul didn't start out, we heard about Barnabas, Paul started out as a bad guy. Like, he persecuted Christians was the first part of his career, right, before his, you know, was the, 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 one of the uh, founders of the church. Um, but Paul did this and understood that the power of his ministry was not his own power. His power came from God. And so he understood that God chose to use him, a flawed person, um, chose to use him to do incredible things. And, and as I was saying, I sometimes get those confused, right? I feel like I'm either like, oh, I, 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 there's no way I could make an impact, 
right? Or I tend to get ahead of, I feel like ahead of the Spirit or ahead of Jesus and say, hey, here's the way you need to do this. I've got the best idea. This is exactly how we can build your kingdom. Um, and the reality is there's that tension where it's, it's both, right? It's God's power, but we are so important to that, and we need to be open to that. If you've been at ZPC for a little while, you might remember the sermon series uh, we had several years ago called Building for God's Kingdom. And Jerry made you know, pains to emphasize the four, right? That preposition was so important because he said, we're not the ones building God's kingdom. God is building his kingdom. But he uses us to build for the kingdom. So as an old English major, I'll take one moment to just relish in the power of a preposition um, and then move on. But that is such a key distinction, right? It's not our power. It is God's. We are building for God's kingdom. And Paul knows then the source of this life-changing power. These aren't his words, but they're the words of Jesus Christ. And the scripture calls that out specifically. His great contribution is simply sharing that with the people he sees. And last week, Scott uh, had a great sermon, and he, had con- he, you know, he contemplated what Philip said to the Ethiopian official. I loved it, because it just says he, he spoke with him and explained the scripture. You know, Scott uh, took the passage from Isaiah and took what Luke had said about that passage of Isaiah and kind of said, here's probably what Philip said that changed his life, right? But we, the reality is we don't know. And in this story, we have no details about what Paul said to Lydia. What was so convincing that he could come up to strangers, change their life, and then have them convince all their family to do the same? Same thing with the jailer. It does, we have no details. And I think that's intentional, right? Because I don't think the importance is on the words that were said. I think it was his willingness to speak the words of the Spirit, the words of Jesus, and be that vessel, right? I think part of me thinks, wouldn't it be great if we knew what these great sermons were like, right? Couldn't, you know, how the, we see the, the uh, Jesus shared the Lord's Prayer with us so we can use it as a model um, of how to pray, right? And we even said that today. And so I wonder, why is there not like these great, you know, evangelism messages laid out? Like maybe it would possibly help Jerry's sermons, right? Be more effective if he had a good model to follow. Um, Jerry, I hope you're listening. It's a lot more fun to make fun of him when he's here, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity even though he's uh, on sabbatical. Um, and so, uh, so it's really, you know, it's, it's really just seeing that the Spirit's work through us is the, is the key message. And Paul is, as you kind of watch this, Paul and Silas, they're constantly seeing sharing and listening. And it's a simple model, right? My, uh, my wife, Abby, experienced this kind of spirit-led grace in a simple yet powerful way when we lived in Chicago. So prior to coming to Zionsville, we lived in Chicago. We lived in the neighborhood of Oak Park. So it's a beautiful city neighborhood. Um, there's Frank Lloyd Wright houses everywhere. It's, it's a great place, but like a big city, right? You are never far from danger, right? So you're always kind of on guard. You're, you're always, uh, always alert, and you keep your head down, right? It's not the rail trail where you offend someone if you don't smile and wave, right? You just look ahead and keep going. And so this also was a difficult time in our lives, a great time, but we had two little kids. Leah was a baby, and Sam was a very difficult three-year-old. Um, he has blossomed, not as he only a great fisherman now, he's a great son too, making up for the past. I'm just kidding, Sam. But, um, but we had a hard day, and it was during this time too, I was traveling a fair amount, and on this particular day, all of this bubbled up, right? And, and I was traveling at some amazing place like Tulsa, Oklahoma or something. And Abby was home with the kids alone, right? Bearing that burden. 
and they had a rough morning. She had lost her patience with them, which we can all identify with. Showed up to drop Sam at school 10 minutes late, which again, you've heard our commitment to trip time. That's a, that feels like this huge moral failure to show up late. And so she was coming back to the car so defeated, right? So worn out, so frustrated. She was sobbing. And she's carrying Leah in those like pumpkin seats. You know, like I don't know how, any, like, how mothers carry those things, or father, I mean, anyone for that matter, because they're so awkward. You've got to carry them out, and there's so much weight. And so she's carrying Leah along in that thing and just crying and trying to get to the car, just feeling so overwhelmed. And there was a teenage boy that was there. And again, it's Chicago. It's the city. You keep, keep to yourself, keep moving. And he was looking at some flowers. And as Abby walked by, he stopped her and he said, hey, aren't these flowers beautiful, right? And it was early spring in Chicago. And I feel like in Chicago, springtime comes in late June, right? I mean, it feels like it takes forever for spring to arrive. So when it does, you pay attention. So he was looking at the flowers. Abby like, thinks it's small talk. She's like, yeah, they are really pretty. And he continued to, he could see the tears in her eyes. And he said, you know that God made this flower and he also thinks it's beautiful. But importantly, God made you and he thinks you're beautiful. And God loves you and thinks you're perfect the way you are. And so, uh, you know, Abby was just caught off the guard, like, what just happened, right? And so he then prayed with her, and he prayed that he, she would feel God's love, that she would feel appreciated, and she would feel beautiful. And Abby walked away transformed, right? She had a, a faith at, at, at that point, but this is, continues to be one of the, you know, the highlights of her spiritual journey was this expression of Jesus' love from this stranger on the street looking at flowers. And I love the story because this is, a, first of all, a kid who used a very simple analogy, right? This isn't a deep theological concept that, that got Abby, you know, really reaffirmed. It's very simple words and in, in sharing and interrupting. But the first thing was he took the time to see her, right? He saw her and, and, and reached out. And I love the courage of that kid. And I'm so, you know, I wish I had that courage more than I do um, to speak up. And so like the teenage boy that, that saw Abby, Paul continually saw people who needed Jesus, and he allowed his life to be interrupted so he could share Jesus with them. And in many traditions, this is referred to as a divine appointment, right? Where the Holy Spirit puts us in the right place at the right time, like that kid in Chicago for Abby, right? What were the chances? Um, and we have these divine appointments where the Spirit can work through us. Um, but too often, are we, do we even see those opportunities, right? Again, in our rush, are we just... Uh, moving right, right past that. Um, and so, but Paul, he sees that, and he, he takes that chance. He let, leads a faith that is full of grace and not focused on himself. And through it, he has an incredible ministry. But his faith is also dangerous. And that's the second half, and we'll touch on this quickly, but you see the danger so evidently here, right? So Paul leans into these people. Not only is his trip time interrupted, which, again, is more than I would do, but then the thanks for all this is they're stripped, beaten, flogged. He's a Roman citizen, and they disregarded his rights. Um, and then he's thrown in prison. And so I think it's a good reminder that we're called to, to, to build for God's kingdom, but that doesn't mean that the plan um, for our lives is going to be what we want. It doesn't mean that we have a life of comfort and ease and just getting what we want. Um, in fact, you know, the opposite is often quite the case, as you see with Paul. One of my favorite verses is John 10.10, 10, where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And I just love the idea of a full life. 
But oftentimes that full life comes amidst suffering and other, other things. So I just remind us all that, um, that following Jesus and following the Spirit's call, looking for these divine appointments, doesn't necessarily mean you know, we'll have this rich life that we expected. Um, and, and in fact, a full life may look very different than, than we expect. And you see that with Paul but he leans in. And if you keep reading Acts, which hopefully you will as you continue on this journey, you'll see this happens to Paul again and again. Um, and, and what I love, and one of the, the, the most interesting parts of this story is, is actually a part that I left out in the interest of time. But, but at the beginning of the chapter, Paul and Silas, they're getting ready to go on their journey, and he was expecting to go west into Tur- what's modern-day Turkey. But it says the Spirit of Jesus stopped them and instead directed them north to to Macedonia. And I love this idea that Paul was so open to the Spirit's call that not only did he get interrupted on the way, he totally changed the destination, right? You know, he got a brand new triptych out and and, and got going. And I think that's an important part because he was so open to what the Spirit was talking about. And last week, Scott, you know, had mentioned, you know, listen and act, right? Listening for the Spirit's call. Allie earlier shared a similar message uh, two weeks ago. Um, and, and you see Paul do that, where he changes his destination. And I personally had a similar destination change along my journey. Um, so growing up, I thought I would end up in vocational ministry. Um, I would mentioned my dad and, and was hounding him for his, his trip time tactics, but, um, but he is a pastor, and his, his father was a pastor, and my grandfather's grandfather. It goes way back. It's kind of like the family business. Uh, and I thought that's what I would do, Right. Um, and by some crazy twists and turns, I got into banking, right? I mean, that's a pretty far turn. Like, Jesus threw the bankers out of the tabernacle, right? And then here I am going from thinking I'd be a pastor to being a banker. Pretty wild change. But when I got in there, my whole focus, it was this vocational ministry mindset because I've just seen it modeled, and I, it was amazing. I saw God do amazing things through the church. But then I met all these people who would never step foot in a church, and I was so encouraged and so excited about this new mission field um, that looked very different than being a pastor. Um, And through my time in corporate America, which I never expected, I've met so many people that I've been able to to love and share Jesus' love with and have an impact. Um, You know, the one thing I think about is how many more people have been there that I've missed, right? I've been on my journey. I've been flying along. My corporate journey now has become with a lot more stress and responsibility and you know, I, I worry that I'd lose that missional focus that Paul had. But we've all got that. And I know that with the exception of a handful of people in here, everyone else in this room has their ministry outside of the church, right? And so I would encourage you to lean into that, to, to take Paul's example, to take an ordinary person like all of us and to do extraordinary things and look for the opportunities that are there and listen for the Spirit. So in closing, I, I would encourage us all to do the following. First, Slow down and stop the hurry, right? We've had this sabbatical theme, even though we're not all in Alaska right now with Jerry, but we've had this theme of slowing down, and you see it so, so apparent here, right? The first thing he always did was he stopped. Like, he had to sit down, he turned to the Spirit. Like, he stopped his journey. We need to do that because we're, we rush so often. And are we just blowing past all the people, you know, that God has set in our way? The second thing we need to do is be intentional. Paul found Lydia by heading to the spot where he thought you know, faith followers would be, right? So he thought they would be a good place to start his ministry, and he went there. That makes sense, right? So let's be intentional. He didn't just happen upon them like he did the others. That that first stop in the journey was a planned stop. Third, we should invest in people. Paul found Lydia, or I'm sorry, Paul's most ordinary actions of sitting, 
speaking, listening, praying, singing, they were all done in the context of relationship. And again, that multiplier impact of discipleship is huge. We need to get out of our comfort zone. We talked about, you know, the second half of the theme of grace dangerous is the danger here, right? We get, we get worried. We don't want to throw the wake like Paul did, right? We're trying to keep the boats from rocking. But Paul ro- rocked all the boats around him in the best possible way. And we need to get past that comfort zone. I just can't imagine, again, that, that kid in, in Chicago who would see a crying mom and have the courage to speak up to her. And, uh, you know, what, what, can a, what does a kid know to speak? And he leaned into that, and it's such a powerful image. And we need to remember that this amazing power that we've seen, these incredible stories from today, that power is not our own. It's Jesus' power. It's through, given to us through the Spirit. And through that, we can do incredible things. So we can build for God's kingdom in that way. My last point I'd make is if you're, uh, is, is, is the most important part of today, honestly, is if your life personally hasn't been interrupted yet by Jesus' grace, this is a great time to also stop and be impacted. Right? We've been talking in the lens of how to influence other people, how to love others and make other disciples. But the opposite is true, right? Lydia listened to Paul. She was, just like Abby, listened to the, the kid that she saw on the street. Lydia listened. The jailer listened, and they were changed. So if you've not had that experience yet of, of experiencing Jesus' life-changing love and grace, I'd encourage you, waste no time, start today. I'd be happy to talk to you more about that. So as we wrap up, if you want to look more like Paul and less like Andrew on a, my road trip of life, we need to first slow down. We need to stop our hurry. We need to be intentional, invest in people, get out of our comfort zone, and remember that we are building for God's kingdom. We are not responsible for building it on our own. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this story, this incredible reminder of the power that we have through you. Um, I would encourage everyone to slow down, to see the opportunities that are there before us. All of the many people in our lives that you've placed in our way, that we wouldn't be in such a hurry that we speed by them, but that we'd be inconvenienced, we'd slow down. Through ordinary relationship, you can do powerful things. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.